Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today we have Jerry Marzinski. I've been listening to Jerry for about four to five years now, and I was hyper impressed with a bunch of his observations dealing with clients. Um, I call them clients. He was essentially a uh, clinical psychiatrist. I'm going to go ahead and read his bio so you can understand what he was dealing with. Um, but Jerry had a very interesting observation with what was happening to people that were under specific influences. <laughs> and I'll just leave that at that at, at this point in time in the introduction. Certain chemical influences beget a frequency change within their being that made them susceptible to schizophrenic uh, ideations. Now, schizophrenia is a very interesting thing because I know shamans. I know people that actually walk and straddle the fence between, you know, the subtle and the gross realms. And a lot of times they could be characterized as being schizophrenic, but a lot of times it's just that they're actually tuning into uh, essentially the unseen realm. And so this, hearing Jerry talk about this within the auspices of confinement, within the auspices of, you know, correctional facilities and the consistency at which it happened is just makes for, I mean, it's probably one of the best case, case studies that's ever been done. And so uh, case studies when it comes to what, type of spiritual interactions occur depending on what frequency range a person is in. So <laughs> this is this is going to be a wonderful podcast. And uh, here, I have to read his uh, bio just so you guys can get an idea of who he is. Jerry Marzinski, B-A-M-E-D. Jerry is a retired licensed psychotherapist with over 40 years of experience working with with and studying the thought processes of psychotic and criminally insane patients in some of the most volatile psychiatric institutions in the nation. Jerry is a commercial pilot, certified scuba diver, and long distance motorcyclist. He has held a position as second lieutenant in the Arizona Civil Air Patrol and assistant scoutmaster. He was awarded the State of Arizona's Meritorious Service Award at Pima. Pima College Apple Award of Teaching Abnormal Psychology. His formal academic training comprises of a BA in psychology from Temple University, a master's degree in counseling from the University of Georgia, and two years of study in the PhD psychology program. He is a co-author of An Amazing Journey into the Psychotic Mind, Breaking the Spell of the Ivory Tower, and is currently has a private practice in Arizona. So you can check out all of Jerry's work at jerrymarzinski.com. That's J-E-R-R-Y-M-A-R-Z-I-N-S-K-Y.com. I'll put all the links to his books and all that good stuff in the show notes. Um, this is really remarkable because I'm going to release this particular podcast after my podcast with Kevin O'Neill, and hopefully you'll start to see this thread that there are forces at work here, and it's very important to you know have containment in one's field. 
And this containment helps one navigate life <laughs> in a much, um, in, in, with much more accord. So thank you for joining us. Um, I will see you on the flip side of this interview. We are here with Jerry Marzinski. Jerry, welcome to the BioCharisma podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for the invite. So I was just, we were just talking beforehand and I just have to appreciate your point of view and your expertise with, you know, being honest about what you have been experiencing throughout your clinical and private career. How about you just introduce yourself to to the uh, podcast, to the audience, uh, give them a little background. I've already read your bio and it's all in the intro and all that, but from, from the horse's mouth, how about you tell people about yourself a little bit? Uh, I mean, where do I start? <laughs> I, I think uh, the, 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 the big thing to start with is my, my abject distrust of authority. Yes. I mean, ever since I was a young young kid, I didn't trust authority. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that that just was more and more reinforced. Uh, the 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 more I went through life, the the more reinforcement I got for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and um I entered uh I entered college, Temple University, believing that instructors were uh uh, gods and you know, professors were gods. They were probably the last people I had any trust in. Mm -hmm. And then I I saw them for what they were. Um, and some of them were just egotistical maniacs, just getting off on their power. Uh, but I remember, and and what what I hated most about undergraduate psychology was that you couldn't verify anything they were saying. Mm. You know, it's like memorize this stuff, spit it back to us. You know, you'll get a grade based on how how well you compare it, whatever books mm -hmm. we give you. You know, and uh, there was there was no the only the only facet of psychology that you could actually watch. The results was experimental, where you could go into the rat lab, and run some of these uh, schedules, and you could see the behavior change. I mean, you could mm -hmm. actually watch it, but not with any of this other stuff, especially abnormal psychology. Uh, you know, as an undergraduate, you had no access to any clinical populations. Mm. You know, you, you couldn't go into a mental health center and say, hey, I want to see what's going on or into a uh, psychiatric hospital and say, hey, I just want to look around. <laughs> no, they wouldn't let you in. Same mm -hmm. thing with the prisons. Um, and I want to say that in the entire, the entire time I've been working on the front lines in psychiatric mental health institutions, I have never seen a single researcher ever on the front lines actually looking at what's actually going on. 
you know, it's all coming out of the universities. Now the universities were taken over in 1910 by Rockefeller and the Carnegie Group, right? With with their Flexner report, mm -hmm. where you know they just they just took took over the entire university system, saying ordered that you know you have to teach pharmacological medicine or you couldn't graduate doctors, right? Um, you know, I I have that here somewhere, but it. You know, it's basically they they took it over. So they're basically saying you have to teach pharmacology. Right. Anybody who doesn't, you know, the Tesla violet rays, uh, natural pass, uh, uh, any other kind of health homeopaths, chiropractors, chiropractors, they were all osteopathy. Just know, just so you know, <laughs> this podcast, like we have all those people on this podcast. Those are my people. The allopathic are not my people. The <laughs> I have yeah. to say, the everybody that's considered, you know uh not part of the uh standard of care that's that's my standard of care <laughs> well so they they considered anybody else flim flam artist yeah you know, it was what like, a projection uh, what a projection man and then they started teaching pharmacological medicine so you know that was all done before i ever got into the system mm -hmm. and i didn't know about it i didn't know the system had been taken over when i entered the system and I didn't know that for, you know, probably until five or six years ago, I didn't know that. Right. Um, I could see the results of it, but I, I didn't know that it was a, you know, there was an actual point of takeover by the deep state American Medical Association, mm -hmm. you know, to uh, basically for their profit. Right. You know, so. Uh, and when I first got to. Uh, I, I, I finished graduate school and even into graduate school, we weren't allowed into psychiatric institutions. You know, we got into a prison, but we were working with prisoners and not even mentally ill prisoners. Mm -hmm. So here they are graduating tens of thousands of psychologists, counselors, and psychiatrists mm -hmm. just based on the garbage they're teaching in their educational institutions without giving most of them experience on the front lines. Now, when I was working uh, in some of the private hospitals, there were psychiatry interns there. So at least they got a, a taste of it. Mm -hmm. But um, in, in, in the PhD program I was in, you were lucky if you could get like work with students. That, wow. that was it, you know? So uh, it, it's like, you know, the, they didn't, they don't want you in there looking around. Mm -hmm. you know, and um, we see that in so many other venues also i mean it's the same way with just normal physical health i forget who it was i think it was wilhelm reich said like why are we only studying the sick people <laughs> why, why are we only you know studying the 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 bodies that are broken why aren't we studying like the healthy bodies and see what their processes are um it just it's one it it seems like the I call it disaster capitalism. The disaster capitalism model is like, we, we're just going to create ancillary inefficiencies at all points in, in, the, in the process to beget more of our process. <laughs> so, you're yeah. always, so you're always in process with us. Nothing well, is ever exactly. healed. Yeah. It, nothing's getting healed, especially in mental health. Right. You know, we're, 
we're flooded with more psychiatric meds and more psychiatrists and psychologists than ever before. And we're in a bigger mess than we've ever been. I'll, I'll go into that later. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, when I, when I first graduated from graduate school, uh, I got a job at the biggest psychiatric hospital on the planet. There were 10,000 patients there when I first entered. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in, uh, in abnormal psychology, they did a good job of describing all these illnesses, but they didn't put anything down about what, what's to be done with them. Mm. You know, how do you, how do you deal with them? It wasn't there. Just, right. just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I remember there was one, uh, one instance in abnormal psychology in undergraduate school at Temple University where they gave us a paper to read by um, written by a clinical psychologist. And he basically said that if, if two crazy people met each other and they both had the same delusion, so if, if they both believed they were Macron, one of them would have to give way, mm -hmm. you know. And I, even as an undergraduate, I'm going, why would they have to do that? I mean, they're both nuts. What? What's the deal? Right. Didn't make any sense, mm -hmm. you know. But here was this formal paper written in APA format, and you know, all these big psychobabble words and stuff. And I, I just tucked it into the back of my head and said, well, maybe one day I'll be able to check this out. Um, so fast forward about eight years, I was on the second floor of a psychiatric unit at the mm -hmm. state hospital. And uh, here was this one patient. Now, the other thing we were told th throughout our education is that the voices that these people hear are hallucinations. Right. And so you think about hallucinations, they're all over the place. You know, so I was thinking that these hallucinations are word salad. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't make any sense. They would just be garbage. You know, but I watched these patients and, and they were carrying on conversations with their voices and they, those conversations were coherent. It was like you were listening into one side of a telephone conversation where you could only hear the guy talking, but you couldn't hear the reply. Right. And I'm like, that's interesting. And um, there was this one fellow one day I was doing rounds on the second floor of the psych unit. <clears throat> and he was a new patient. I hadn't seen him before. And uh, that's, I heard him. He's carrying on a conversation with somebody I couldn't see. And he didn't have a telephone. Mm. So uh, I snuck up behind him trying to, you know, listen in on what he was saying. And he caught me. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I asked him, I, I said, I'm Jerry. I'm the psych for this unit. Um, I haven't seen you before. I said, what's your name? And he says, uh, I'm Jesus Christ. Mm. And I went, looked at, I looked him in the eye and I went, no, you're not. I am. I'm mm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I sat there, I'm like, what's he going to do? You know, mm -hmm. how's he going to react? Is he is he going to give way like this psychologist said? And he looks up and he's thinking about it. And then he looks at me and he goes, we both can be Jesus Christ. And he strolls off. Mm -hmm. You know, so I went, what else did they lie to me about? Right. You know, so uh, it's the second thing I noticed is that um, everybody had been told that schizophrenics had a biochemical imbalance in their brain. You know, something was wrong with the chemicals in their brain. Mm. But, but, you know, and I worked with lots of psychiatrists. I never saw a psychiatrist give any kind of lab test or any kind of test at all, EKG, EEG, anything, no kind of official lab test at all 
before they prescribed those medications. Right. So, if, so if they didn't have a baseline, mm -hmm. how did they know what neurotransmitters were out of balance or by how much? Right. And now it's been proven that the neurochemicals, the majority of the neurochemicals that your body uses are produced by foreign entities anyway, <laughs> in your GI tract. You know, it's something like in your gut, you have 60 to 70% that they know of in this moment. Mm -hmm. So at least now from a, from the uh, gut biome perspective, there, there is the, in the biohacking communities, they talk a lot about, is that the parasite talking to you? Or is that like your actual body giving you the signal? You know, that's mm -hmm. something that, that we've covered a bunch. So I'm glad you're bringing that up. Yeah, so they didn't have any baseline, you right. know. And I and I I walked up to one of the psychiatrists. I said, "How do you know what's out of balance? I mean, if if schizophrenia is caused by a chemical imbalance, and you're not given any tests, mm -hmm. you're not given any lab work, how do you know what's out of balance?" And he goes, "Oh, uh, the uh, uh, the pharmacy pharmacology guys have done all that. You know, they they've done all that research. We, we're just." given the meds and i'm like what what are you what are you thinking you know mm. like uh how, how do they know what what's out of balance with your patients mm -hmm. i didn't say that because they're all they're so arrogant it's incredible you, you can't challenge them otherwise you're in trouble so they had no baseline they would just go and they would go we'll start with this medication subjectively mm -hmm. you know based on whatever experience they had and it just this merry-go-round and they just keep going round and round until they find a uh, any psychotic drug that seems to work the most mm. you know the best so uh, this chemical imbalance thing is a total lie it right. was produced it was uh, uh, fabricated by Eli Lilly a pharmaceutical company back in the 70s when they came out with Prozac mm -hmm. and they needed some explanation for why it worked you know, they, they didn't have one. They didn't know, you know, so so they made up this uh, uh, serotonin garbage that, you know, uh, it, it was it, it's totally fabricated. So the, this biochemical out of balance theory was then picked up by Big Pharma and it was spread all over the place. They have control of the educational institutions. So they're teaching it there. They're teaching it to the psychologists. They're teaching it to the psychiatrists. They're teaching it to social workers. And it's a complete lie. It's completely mm -hmm. fabricated. There's nothing to it. You know, there was a professor, David Healy, a professor of psychiatry and author. He wrote in the uh, one of the uh, journals the, that the, the idea that depression is caused by low levels of serotonin, which is what the the pharmacology or the, the pharmacist companies are saying, uh, and that certain antidepressants raise the levels of this neurotransmitter is a myth. He wrote in the 1990s, no one knew if SSRIs raised or lowered serotonin levels. He said they still don't know. There was no evidence that drug treatment corrected anything. So it's a it's a it's a fabrication by the pharmacolo pharmacology industry. That that's it. Uh, it's garbage. Medical News Today in 2005 said consumer ads for a class of antidepressants called SSRIs often claimed that depression is due to chemical imbalance in the brain and that SSRIs are correct that imbalance. But these claims are not supported by any scientific evidence. 
the New, New, the New England Journal of Medicine reported 88% of clinical trials showed that drugs didn't work, uh, didn't work, weren't published. So if the drugs, if, if they had research that showed that these drugs don't work, they didn't get published. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the journals wouldn't publish them. Yeah, so we're just seeing, and you got to experience it directly, that there's a theory that chemical imbalance is what needs to be corrected, modulated for somebody to eliminate these voices, eliminate this extracurricular activity that's going on internally. What did those, you... Those, those drugs don't eliminate the voices. I know. I, I'm getting to that point now. That's where I'm, I'm taking this is like you found in your in your practice with these people with actually listening to them that they had a coherence. They had a the, when I say they I'm talking about the 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 voices that are inaudible to the people that are outside of the person that's experiencing them. But they are an actual entity. There is an actual consciousness behind those extracurricular voices. How? Wh when did that cement for you? Like when did that like be not no longer become a theory for you, but was like an actual fact? Well, there there was a long process before that because I didn't want to believe that. Right. You know, I I didn't believe I didn't want to believe that they were spirits or or anything like that. But what I found one at the state hospital is not one single staff member was curious about what these voices were telling these patients. And it was clear that they, these voices were driving their behavior mm -hmm. because when they listened to them, they got into a massive amount of trouble. Mm. You know? So it was clear that the, the, whatever these voices were, they were getting these people into a lot of trouble. And uh, um, so I started asking the patients about what the voices were saying, and they didn't want to talk about it. And there's there's no positive benefit for a schizophrenic to talk about their voices. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's always trouble for them. They they either get in trouble with their friends if they tell their friends. Their friends go, "Well, you're weird. We're not getting around you anymore. Something's wrong with you. You're possessed or whatever." They tell their parents. They get drug up in front of a psychiatrist. They get drugged silly. If they're in the institution and they tell anybody about their voices, they increase their drugs. You know, there's there's no positive benefit for schizophrenics to talk about their voices. And I didn't know it at the time, but the voices themselves tell them not to talk about them. Mm -hmm. You know, if you talk about us, you're going to get locked down. You know, right. they're going to fill you full of drugs. And, and that's actually what happens. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it took me probably a year and a half, two years to figure out how to talk to them about the voices. And what I found is that every little tidbit that I found out about the voices was a major help. Mm -hmm. You know, so I would, uh, and when I first started off, I, there was nothing to prime the pump. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, why should we tell you, a, a staff member, about the voices when you're the ones that are drugging us silly and locking us down and keeping us captive in this place? Mm -hmm. You know, so there was, they didn't trust staff whatsoever. Right. Um, so each little tidbit I learned, I would, you know, I'd tell the patient, well, I know this and I know this and I know this. What more can you tell me? You know, mm -hmm. so that was like priming the pump. The more information I got, the more they were willing to tell me because they saw that I wasn't like all the other ones, just, you know, kind of snitching them off to psychiatry and, and getting them medicated.
-hmm. So it was a very slow, aggravating process, uh, but it started picking up and picking up. And then uh, one day, one of the patients got upset because I was asking him questions about his voices. He went to one of the psychiatrists and I got pulled up into the psychiatrist's office and put on the carpet. And he said, you will not ask these patients about their voices. They are hallucinations. You're making them worse by reinforcing their hallucinations when you ask them questions about them. Mm. And he ordered me to stop. Mm. You know? So I'm like, uh-oh, you know, these guys don't even want you looking into it. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, you know, I was threatened. And that happened twice. So mm -hmm. I had to be very careful at the state hospital because psychiatrists were getting beat up there uh, more than any other staff. And I didn't know why, because mm -hmm. they spent less time with those patients than virtually any of the other staff. And that was a, a perplexing thing for me for years. It's like, what are they doing in 15 or 20 minutes a month that is causing these schizophrenic patients to attack them? Mm -hmm. It didn't make any sense to me. So that was another question I had in the back of my mind for years until finally an answer came through. But uh, so I had to be very careful with uh, asking them questions. I had, it, it, I had to really slow it down. I had to make sure they weren't getting upset. Uh, and then I had one come to me once and he said, uh, I know I know these things are evil. There's something wrong with them. Uh, I, when I repeat the 23rd Psalm, they react like worms thrown on a hot frying pan. Mm -hmm. And I went, that's interesting. Why would a hallucination do that? Mm -hmm. So I started asking all these other patients, you know, what happens when you pray? What happens when you go to church? What happens when you repeat the 23rd Psalm? And uh, I, would, I would hand them out copies of the 23rd Psalm and say, you know, try this. Come back to me in a week and tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. There was a consistent negative reaction from the voices when they read that. The mm -hmm. voices hated it, you know, and and it was scores and scores of patients over time, the same reaction, all the way to the time where I was working at the state prison. Same thing. All the all the voices across the years reacted ne negatively to the twenty third psalm, and I'm thinking, why would a hallucination care about the twenty third psalm? Mm -hmm. Why would a hallucination react to the 23rd Psalm? This know? is amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to share the Psalm 23 with everybody. If they can, let's do share screen. There we go. So this leads exactly into why I wanted to talk to you <laughs> because from an allopathic perspective, from a psychiatric perspective, this would make no sense why this would, would drive, drive everyone nuts. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, thy, thy, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Look at that, mine enemies. 
Could that be the voices? <laughs> this will be the voices. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me in my days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, is that, it. that is awesome. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. They also hate uh, Psalm 91, but this one drives them nuts. Ooh, you know. Yeah. My goodness, does that have some power? <laughs> it, it does. So I started handing that out when I worked at the prison. When the prison officials found out that I was doing that, they ordered me to stop. Uh huh. You know, so it's it's like uh, now. And what would be the logic too? Like nothing that they're doing is working, but you just a little pamphlet with Psalm twenty three, and bam. Worse than that, toward the end of my years staying there, schizophrenics were fully recovering and going off their medications. You know, it's uh, telling the psychiatrist, I don't need him anymore. The voices are gone. And the psychiatrist, well, what happened? Well, Jerry worked with me. So that's not supposed to happen. Right. You know, psychiatry is teaching in the institutions that this is a lifelong uh, affliction, that there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. That's far from the truth. It's another lie they, they're perpetuating to keep their, their lame system scarfing up thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. You know, by repeat visits to the psychiatrist, mm -hmm. you know, now the, those medications, they're, they're not abusable medications. Those antipsychotic drugs, mm -hmm. they're not, a, nobody in their right mind wants to take those things. They're major tranquilizers. They dumb you down. They lower your vibrational level badly. Mm -hmm. you know, nobody's going to voluntarily want to take those, but here's these psychiatrists clutching on to the, the, well, you have to have a prescription for these, you know, because uh, they're, 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 you got to be highly trained to dish these out bull crap you know they're just sitting in their offices making guesses at which drugs they should put out they have no uh like we said no test there was no objective criteria for which drugs they should start with it's it's a like a dartboard thing almost based on their opinion mm -hmm. and and in the united states it costs close to seven eight hundred dollars a month to buy these antipsychotic drugs you got to go to the psychiatrist you got to pay his fee, what a office fee of two hundred bucks or whatever, and then he writes you the prescription, and then you got to feed the pharmacist by going to the pharmacist, so he gets paid, and then you get issued these psychiatric drugs at you know seven eight hundred dollars a month. In Mexico, you go across the border sixty miles south of here, you go into Mexico, you can buy these things over the counter. They're not abusable. Nobody's going to take them and misuse them. Nobody wants to take them. You right. can go to a psychiatrist once. He can prescribe them to you. That Okay, start off with these, see how they work. And then you can go walk into the, the pharmacy and just buy them over the counter yourself mm -hmm. for $75 as opposed to 800 here in the U.S. Mm. So it, this, this medical system is just bleeding the U.S. taxpayer to death, especially the people who can least afford it, the mentally ill, the schizophrenics, and their families. Mm -hmm. They're just suck. They're like they're like leeches. They're just sucking them dry, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah. You, <clears throat> so you're you're seeing this. You're seeing that the chemical solution is a non-solution. That's just a money. That's just the money train for the institution, for the and, most part. For for the most part. Now there are a number of patients that are so far gone, and so mm -hmm. violent, and and prisoners that are psychotic, that that's the only way to treat them. Right. 
you know, but that's a that's a minority compared to the general population. Right. But I think they estimate that there's like uh, 100 million schizophrenics in the world or 1% of the entire world population. Uh, there's 100, 100 people being diagnosed schizophrenic every month in the U.S. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and these drugs don't cure anything. These no. antidepressants don't cure anything. The antipsychotics don't cure anything. They're basically... And these antipsychotic drugs are basically major tranquilizers to calm the person down. That's it. Right. You know, it's a. It's brutal. It, it's brutal and it's disheartening. You know? So what was the pad? Do you mind sharing if you saw a pattern of trauma that would actually make somebody susceptible to these voices? Like what, what was in the, what was in the, I guess you would call it in the, in the, patient's history from a trauma? Well, did you see a consistent pattern with trauma that would actually call induce? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Number one was meth. Methamphetamine. Ah. I saw more prisoners go insane on methamphetamine than any other drug out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were there were a number from cocaine, but meth was the, the, the prisoners called it the devil's drug. Mm -hmm. You know, isn't that what Adderall is like? Yep, like Adderall. Yep. And they have they have tens of thousands of kids in the U.S. on Adderall right now, or hundreds of thousands. I I have the statistics here somewhere, but uh, yeah. And the prisoners would they get it, start off on Adderall, move up to meth, and then they'd hear these voices and they would think, well, that's a hallucination. Mm -hmm. You know, when I come down, it'll go away, and it does. You know, so they go, oh, that reinforces that it's a hallucination. So they keep using it. They hear the voices again, and then it, they come down. They go away. That may happen, you know, a dozen times or so. And then one day they don't go away. They're there forever. Mm -hmm. They're just as psychotic as anybody in the uh, in the psychiatric hospital. So, so they can't they they can't work. They end up getting thrown in prison. They've shut down all the psychiatric hospitals all across the U.S. All the state hospitals have been shut down. That's horrible. Quick question. Does meth, so I know a lot of athletes, I was a former athlete myself that after concussion would have depression, essentially, <laughs> especially back in the day when I was playing, nobody knew how to deal with concussions. And so reading about what that actually does to the brain, it creates these little uh, holes, essentially, in the in the gray tissue matter. And does meth do something similar to that? Do you know? Like, is there is there uh, a known um, uh, what is it called uh, action that the the meth actually does to your to your gray matter? Not that I know of, and I, I've asked psychiatrists about that, uh -huh. and they don't. There's no research that I know of that has been done on long term amphetamine abuse. Now, long term antipsychotic drug use. Yes, mm -hmm. it, they, it rots out their brain. It turns mm -hmm. it into a walnut, you know? So they found uh, uh, what they were finding with the autopsies in some of these state hospitals is that the, the brains of long-term patients who were taking these antipsychotic drugs were shrunk like walnuts, Oof. you know? And, uh, you know, so they, it's, it's, thank God, some there's some honest people out there. They published these papers around big pharma Mm -hmm. 
and big pharma and and the psychiatric mafia started screaming oh no it's not it's not our drugs it's not our drugs it's the schizophrenia that did this you know and they what they did is they started giving those uh, antipsychotic drugs to monkeys and rats and they found the same thing happened mm -hmm. right so these drugs not only don't cure anything they're actually destroying the brains of these people that are taking them on a long-term basis Right. They're rotting it. They're bringing down their vibrational level. They're bringing down their energy level. They're turning them into semi-zombies. Right. And they're rotting out their brains. Yeah, it's so a chemical lobotomy. It, pretty much. Yeah. You know, and you look at, they called it at the at the state hospital, they called it the Thorazine shuffle. These guys could no longer walk with a, a normal gait. They would just kind of shuffle their feet. Mm-hmm. You know? So, uh, it not only are they not helping these people, they're actually harming them. Right. I guess they're the only doctors that don't abide by the Hippocratic Oath, you know? Yeah. And and they've got to know that this is happening. They've got to know that this is happening. Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Well, in my practice of massage, I deal with a lot of people that are on antidepressants. Um, I would, especially being back in the United States, there's such a high percentage of people that are on antidepressants. And one of the reasons why I reached out to you is because you were one of the few people that I'd ever heard from in a clinical setting that had experiences with other entities from people that have, I call it like a compromised energetic body. Well, from you certainly couldn't talk about this kind of stuff while you're working. No, I, I had to wait until I was retired and right. then I dropped my license so they couldn't dirty it up because I'm sure they would have. Right. You know, they would have went after and they go, well, we got this guy for this and this and this and this. To So I, I just let it lapse. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm working with the MACE system now that far advanced of anything I was ever taught in graduate school or any of the formal colleges. It works better than anything else. And they they have no idea. Yeah, I mean, it's not even in the same ballpark with what they're teaching in the universities. It mm -hmm. works so much better. It's 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 so much more effective, and and they 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 don't want anything to do with it. You know, the 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 Mace organization has gone to the university in in Australia and said, "Look, it. They proved how well it works. Mm -hmm. You know, it works better than any other psychotherapy." They said, "Well, you give us the patent to it, and we'll consider it." Oh, it's they terrible. went, "No, no, no, thanks. You know, you'll take it and you'll shelf it." What, so they what went is to the, the legislature. What is the MACE it, energy method? Well, thoughts are energetic. Yes. Spirit is energetic. Intuition is energetic. Mm -hmm. You know, um, feelings are energetic. Mm -hmm. So it has nothing to do with your physical body. Right. You know, the voices, the psychiatric, psychotic voices are energetic. So this is all energy, mm -hmm. you know. And what they're doing is they're trying to treat an energetic illness with physical drugs, and it doesn't work. It's mm -hmm. it's like pouring Thorazine on top of a magnetic field and expecting the magnetic field to dissipate. Mm -mm. So, nope. what John Mace found is, you know, people are people believe that a human being is is composed of mind, spirit, and body. Mace found that there's a fourth structure a negative identity or identities. So it's, it's, it's who you are. 
You know, you may have a, you have an identity as a car driver, you have an identity as a massage therapist. Those are all positive identities that you created for your own survival. Mm -hmm. He found, he found that traumas unconsciously installed negative identities. Mm -hmm. Okay. And those negative identities are like uh, the, 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 an example of how they work is you you get into trouble and you go, well, I'm never going to get into this trouble again. All right. I'm not going to do it. Six months later, you find yourself in the same place again. Right. You know, that's a negative identity who has control of your thought system. Mm -hmm. So your energy flows through that negative identity and it and it screws you up. So it's like a, a computer virus in a computer. Mm -hmm. Only it's a it's a mental virus mm -hmm. created by a trauma. Now, it took Mace decades to figure out how to locate it so he uses the spirit to actually locate that identity and you can get in there and you can dissolve it and once it's gone the person just feels the relief it, it's just boom it, it's just gone mm -hmm. uh, it with with more normal patients they can feel it right away yeah i mean it just boom it, it's like within an hour this sounds you know, very similar to the practice of soul retrieval. Have you ever heard of soul retrieval? Yeah, the I have, but it's not. It, it's not the same thing at all. You know, um, what was I going to say? I'm sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Um, so you, you have this. It, go, go ahead. Yeah, it, it gets in there and it, and it discharges that uh -huh. negative identity. Mm -hmm. So say you have... Uh, you had a brutal father, you know, mm -hmm. and, and he, he was a nightmare. Uh, what happens is you create a negative identity of him in your mind. Mm -hmm. okay? And anytime somebody like him shows up in your energetic field, there's a reaction. It's mm -hmm. either you hate that guy, you're going to fight with him, or you're going to run from him, or you're going to avoid him. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that negative identity being activated. So what happens is during a trauma, the ego takes the um, uh, the negative feeling of the trauma, mm -hmm. and it goes, "Let me handle this. You can't function while you're, you know, all stirred up like this. I'll t hey, let me handle it." And takes it and it buries it in your subconscious, mm -hmm. and it takes energy to keep it there. So it forms mm -hmm. an energy ridge. It wants to get out. You have to expend the energy to keep it in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's why you go off when you get around people that you don't like. It's because of something in your background has programmed you not to like those people. Mm -hmm. you know? So the more it goes off, the more that negative identity is triggered, the stronger it gets. And the more you believe it's actually a part of you, but mm -hmm. it actually isn't. You know? So the MACE method will go in there and it will dissolve that energy ridge and then you won't, there, there will be no more reactions to people or situations that created that ridge. So you were asking about what, uh, what leads to schizophrenia in the first place. We talked about meth, but there, there's physical, emotional, and, and mental uh, horrific abuse. Right. Will, will create, lead to the schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. So what it does, it lowers the person's vibrational level. And when their vibrational level gets down to a certain degree, these entities can jump in there, mm -hmm. you know, and then they start putting thoughts in your head. And what's, what's so interesting is those thoughts sound just like your normal thoughts, mm -hmm. you know, but the content is very much different. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you're, you're stupid. You're ugly. Nobody's going to like you. You can't do anything. You can't succeed at anything. Uh, your friends are only pretending you like you. Your parents really don't like you. Uh, you're ugly. All that kind of stuff that comes from these negative identity, uh, these negative entities, mm-hmm. you know, and they insert these thoughts into your thought system. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they start telling you to do things that are going to get you in trouble. Mm. Once they do that, they feed off the negative emotional energy that you generate. Mm. Now, I found that out in the prison, too. So um, what I saw. So I have a question for you then, because I I just want to I want to know the the cosmology perfectly here. So are you of the mind that this internally created um just say a subpersonality is actually resonant with an actual other entity or is it solely just no that is not <clears throat> it's a it's an entity of its own but but it's a psychological entity okay you know it these the voices are another they're they're a different kind of energetic entity okay okay so they'll put thoughts in your mind you know you're no good or you can't do this or you know you can't succeed at anything Mm-hmm. You know, now that could also be the province of a negative identity. Like if your dad told you that all your life, you're no good, you're stupid, you're never going to succeed at anything that gets programmed in. Right. But these, these, uh, the, the entities are a totally different thing. They're, they're a, a, a different consciousness. So it's an, so it's an auto generated different consciousness. Like you are the progenitor of that consciousness the progenitor so like so you have a trauma and that trauma like i'll I'll say i'll put it in first person a trauma happens to me as a a, as a little kid yeah my psyche fractures somehow and and auto generates this other personality this negative well yeah they would call it a negative identity a negative identity and then that negative identity like you are now the god of that negative identity like you created it well yeah you created it yes but you didn't know you created it right because it was created during a trauma so what happens during a trauma is your 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 attention turns on you okay and then you have to make some decisions to deal with that trauma like how did i get there how do i get out of this who am i as a result of it and you make some decisions about yourself who you are while you're in that traumatic state. And those decisions are never good because you mm-hmm. don't make good decisions when you're in a traumatic state, you make bad decisions. True. So you go, well, I must be rotten because this happened to me. Okay, mm-hmm. Boom, that gets logged in, you know, and then it affects you the rest of your life. And you mm-hmm. don't even know it's, it's, it's like a, 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 a virus running in the background all the time. Mm-hmm. And the May system will go in there and it will dissolve that. Okay. What you were what you were getting to when I interrupted you was he found where to locate it. That's what right. you were that's what you're about to get to. Right. He found how to locate it. Yeah. Because you, you never know where it's buried. You know, so and is that he, in the he, organs, he, in the body somewhere? Is that why yeah. I would I would exclude? Well it's 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 in the it's in the in the mind. Okay. It, it's so it, it's it's not centered in it's it's energetic. Mm-hmm. You know, so a thought is energetic. This thing is energetic. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get rid of it by pouring chemicals on it. Right. The psychotic voices are energetic. You're not going to get rid of them by pouring chemicals on them. 
Right. You know, so what these these psychotic entities are, they're they're energetic and they run patterns. So the second pattern I found that they ran were negativity. They were consistently negative all mm -hmm. the time. They were never positive. They were always you're no good, you're rotten, you're stupid, you're ugly, but all this stuff. And it's mm -hmm. all negative. So my question was, what holds it on a persistently, consistently negative path? Why isn't it random like all other hallucinations? It's not. It's consistently negative. What holds it on that path? You know, so over the years, more and more patterns came up. You know. So these are these are some quick ones. They're consistently negative. They're anti-religious. They foster and create negative emotion, and then they feed off that emotion. So if you talk to schizophrenics and you ask them, how much energy do you have before the voices come and how much energy do you have after they come, they'll tell you after the voices attack, their energy level drops to zero. Right. And this is, this is from hundreds and hundreds of them. They're all reporting the same thing. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I ran into a situation at the prison once where I saw it clearly for myself and saw that it was these entities that were taking their energy. So they were feeding off of that negative emotional energy. Right. And they were creating it so they could feed off of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're told, oh, yeah, we're the we're the head of the pecking order. Uh, there's there's nothing above us. No, these entities are feeding off of us like leeches. Yes. But they have to turn your energy level negative before they can take it. Right. You know, so uh, then they energetically drain their victims. Mm -hmm. And I, I can tell you the story how I came to that, but take my word for it. That's what's happening. So that's why these negative voices that the psychotics hear are always negative. Yes. Because they want to create that negative emotional energy. They can't generate it themselves. So they're doing to us what we do to cows. Okay. Right. And. <clears throat> You know, we we put the cow out to the uh, pasture to eat grass. The, the cow meat makes milk. We pull him in, isolate him in its stall, milk him, and uh, take their milk and then put him out to the stall, the the, the uh, pasture again to make more milk. Mm -hmm. You know, this is this is amazing. It did in the mace method. Is there a corollary? with our energetic body is it what a lot of people talk about when they talk about the auric field because well kind of like it, it it's an energetic entity that is stuck in your psyche yes you know it it's uh it's a negative identity right and you have positive identities mm -hmm. they're okay we're not worried about those mm -hmm. you know they're functional but these negative identities are not. So they're like a computer virus that that just constantly runs the same cycle all the time. So if if you were told as a little kid that you're rotten, you're no good, that gets programmed in. Mm -hmm. And then your whole life you're living by that. Right. I mean, I was talking to like a 78-year-old lady who had been abused by her mother. You know, what... 60 70 years ago right and she's been living her whole life with this negative identity that was telling her she, she's no good and she's rotten mm -hmm. you know we removed it in an hour 
Awesome. All that all that energy then returns back to the person. Mm -hmm. You know, so what I found is like thirty different patterns that these these voices run. And so what we're looking at here is like if if you had a a big magnet, you can't see that magnetic field. You can't mm -hmm. feel it. You can't sense it at all. For all practical purposes, it doesn't exist to your senses. Right. So if you get a, a jar full of iron filings, you put it on that magnetic field, then you can see the mm -hmm. outline of that magnetic field. Right. Now, what the psychiatric mafia and big pharma have done is they have taken any vestige of what schizophrenia looks like and they've moved it. They've moved it into uh, the, the biochemical lie. They've moved it into genetics mm -hmm. where you, you couldn't investigate it. All right. So <laughs> what I have here, these are these are articles published by Big Pharma. You mm -hmm. know, I did a search on it. What causes schizophrenia? Does it have any triggers? Here's their response. And there's no there's no research. Matter of fact, it's been refuted and they're still putting it out there. They're still publishing this lie. They go, but they changed the wording a little bit. There is no genetic factor to schizophrenia. They've proven it. It's not mm -hmm. there. The, the 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 truthful researchers have said we've looked and we've looked and we've looked. There is no genetic gene for schizophrenia. But yet these these buzzards are still they're still publishing this. And this is a recent article. Schizophrenia doesn't seem to have a single confirmed cause. Look at this. They're just saying that. They have no evidence for that. Experts suspect that several factors play a role. Experts. We just say experts. So everybody believe us because we say experts. But none of these guarantees that you won't develop schizophrenia. The three main reasons that schizophrenia happens include chemical imbalances in your brain. This is right off of the internet. They're still publishing it today. That's a bold-faced lie. And they're still publishing it for their own profit. There mm -hmm. is no chemical imbalance in the brain. They've never proved it. It's been disproven. And these damn chemical companies are still publishing it for their own profit. Congenital brain problems. Yeah, there's there. it's easier for these entities to hack people who have brain damage. Mm -hmm. That's true. Okay. So, and that, so that go, goes back to the concussions I was talking about. Yeah. Because that is brain so, damage. So they're saying uh, here they are pushing the genetic mutation stuff. There is no evidence for this at all, mm -hmm. you know. And and then they complicate it more. So what they're doing is taking it and putting it up into the biochemical labs and and the genetic labs where people can't investigate for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, only a tiny fraction of the population can debunk this stuff, and it took them decades to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, because they're not interested in this kind of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. and then if they try to get it published, the deep state is going to block the publications in, in the big journals. So they're going to have to get it published elsewhere and it's not going to proliferate. So so here they are. They're pushing. Uh, they're pushing it again. So if if it's if it's up in the biochemical and genetic stuff, who's going to investigate it? Mm -hmm. You know, they're just going to say this and know, who's going to who's going to counter it? You know, it's only a small, tiny fraction of people who can do that. And they have done it. The mm -hmm. geneticists have said this is a bunch of bunk. The biochemists 
this is a bunch of bunk and still they're publishing the WebMD. Doctors don't think there's just one schizophrenic gene. So here they are. Oh, it's a schizophrenic gene, but it's not just one because they haven't found one. So it must be many. Hmm. Listen to us. You know, we'll tell you what it is. Instead, they think that it takes many genetic changes or mutations to raise your chances of having mental illness. So they're still pushing the genetic theory, even though it has been debunked. These people are disgusting. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, it's deplorable behavior. And we actually see this in almost all the venues that chemicals are being pushed, whether it's, you know, Roundup Ready crops, whether it's, you know, allopathic medicine in your field of psychiatry, like in anywhere where they can make the human a filter for the this these chemicals that are created, it's uh it's it's horrific. Like I, well, I don't they're, they're making fourteen point seven billion billion dollars a year selling these antipsychotic drugs that are rotting out people's brains that do not cure anything and merely suppress symptoms. They don't cure anything. Fourteen point seven billion dollars a year, and I think they're making like seven or uh, what, thirteen billion on any any depressant drugs that don't cure anything any either. Oof. And and some of them, like Wellbutrin, are addictive. You can't get off them. That they love that, you mm -hmm. know. So they go on and on. Here's another one that says studies show. Right? Studies show. Experts. You know, we say studies, studies show. show. Yeah. You know, that these neurotransmitters are either too active or not active enough. Doctors believe, you know, doctors believe, you know, believe us, we're writing this stuff. It's garbage. It's total garbage. Doctors believe that brain losses over time and imaging tools and PET scans like MRI show that people who have schizophrenia have less gray matter, but they don't say that that's due to their drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, no. oh, it's so here they are blaming it on the schizophrenia again. You know, brain messenger chemicals, two brain chemicals, dopamine and glutamate, carry messages to cell along, cells along with other brain pathways that doctors believe control thinking, perception, and motivation. Um, it's all bunk. It's just lie after lie after lie that they put out over and over again. Mm -hmm. You know, here's Dr. Pies. This guy was, uh, he, he's a professor of psychiatry. A doctor and professor, he says, I don't believe I've ever heard a knowledgeable, well-trained psychiatrist make such a preposterous claim that patients have a chemical imbalance other than to mock it. In truth, the chemical imbalance notion was always a kind of urban legend, never a theory seriously propounded by well-informed psychiatrists. The chemical imbalance theory was widely perpetuated following the introduction of the first SSR antidepressant Prozac. You know, says what is the origin of the idea of the mental disorder caused by chemical imbalance of the brain? American psychiatrists of 1960s and 70s tend to be skeptical of biological theories of mental disorder. Many psychiatrists of that era were trained in heyday Freudian psychoanalysis. You know, it was not until the late 1980s, after the release of the landmark antidepressant Prozac, that the idea of the chemical imbalance hit psychi psychiatry mainstream. Uh, as psychiatrist Peter Brigand, who wrote, who wrote Toxic Psychiatry, points out in his books, Toxic Psychiatry, 
he points out that the drug company Eli Lilly advanced the chemical imbalance theory as a marketing scheme to sell their new drug Prozac. There was, of course, no dem demonstrable evidence showing that these these uh, depressed patients had any imbalance, but mm. Eli Lilly ran with it anyway, long before psychiatrists and psychologists alike came to identify with the idea that mental disorders are caused by chemical imbalances. So it was all perpetuated by the friggin' by, uh, pharmaceutical industry, the mm. same people who brought you COVID and the COVID vaccines. It's the same mm. buzzards. Yeah, they were doing it even back then. So. You know, they're trying to push this up where people can't examine it. Now, these patterns that I'm telling you about, negativity, anti-religious, mm -hmm. foster and create negative emotion, energetically drain their victims. These are these are patterns that are akin to the iron filings in the jar. Right. This is the operational definition of what the voices are. Anybody can see them. Anybody who works with schizophrenics, any psychiatrist, any psychologist, any social worker who works with schizophrenics can see these patterns for themselves. These is, this is the operational definition of the voices or the, the, uh, their so-called hallucinations. They get louder after sunset. They get louder when ignored. They foster self-destructive behavior. They foster isolation. You'll see these schizophrenics, they, they drive off their family they want to isolate themselves in their room and they're listening to these voices the whole time telling them all this crap. Yeah. They demand the attention of the victims. They maneuver for increased control over their victims. They gaslight, they manipulate perception. They have complete access to the patient's memory. So they can pull up every rotten thing because they're energetic. They can pull up every rotten thing the person does and rub it in their face until they generate that negative emotional energy. Mm -hmm. And then they drain it off. They demand that the victim not tell anybody about their presence. Um, That's huge. They're consummate liars. They lie about everything. You can't make any deals with them. You can't make any bargains with them. They won't keep any bargains. I, I, I've heard of three patients where they said, if you gouge out your eye, we'll disappear and we won't come back. Once a patient did that, they returned and they started mocking him and laughing at him. Like, how could you have? How could you be so stupid as to believe us? Now you're a freak. Now you're now you're. Everybody's going to think you're a monster, and and for the rest of your life, this is a, they're bullies. This is the kind of thing that these things are. Mm -hmm. You know, they're consummate liars. They consistently steer the victim away from anything that might generate joy. They don't want them to be happy. They don't want them to experience joy. They don't want them going to the movies or having girlfriends or boyfriends. Uh, they they break up any any positive relationship. They'll break up marriages. They'll break up boyfriends and girlfriends. Uh, and they, they just pour, you know, you get mad, they just pour gasoline on the fire. They mm. can manipulate feeling without speaking. You know, you could just be sitting there feeling okay, and then all of a sudden you get this dread feeling out of nowhere. They can short-circuit reason. Um, they pass themselves off as thoughts belonging to the victim. So this is one of their most dangerous facets because they sound just like your everyday thoughts. They come right. into your head. All the thousands of thoughts you have a day, they sound just like that, only mm -hmm. their intention is very different. Mm -hmm. You know, anything... Any negative thought about yourself or anybody else comes from them. Mm -hmm. It comes from the dark side. They can make you selectively forget anything. So the patients I work with, I'll give them a, a list of things. These are things you got to do to fight back. If they don't write them down, they'll have forgotten 80% of them by the time they walk out the door. Oh, let's, let's pause on this because there is an epidemic of bad memory going on. 
like people and it's usually the people I know that actually have a very negative self-image already. One of the things that they'll hold on to is I don't remember anything. You see, and I'm thinking maybe this is one of those patterns, like this is one of those identities that's siphoning their energy away from their capacity to to interact with their memory. Yeah. And you know what I'm afraid of is is that's what they're doing with this whole COVID thing is they're they're trying to push it under the table so as if it's oh it's it's water under the bridge just forget about this you know what did they say six million people were killed by those vaccines right murdered 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 by these yeah. vaccines At they least. knew they knew about that these drugs were dangerous before they even put them out there yeah they knew they didn't have any clinical trials they you know the fda the uh they were all bought off mm-hmm Okay, they fill the mind with negative thoughts about themselves and others. They destroy any positive self-concept. They try to pull the patient away from consensual reality. You know, and I've had some where they completely took them over. You know, I was looking for that transcript today so I could read it to you, but I couldn't find it. But th they will actually fully take over these people. And mm -hmm. I had one patient where uh, he was telling his parents, you know, I'm no longer your son. I am this other person. Mm -hmm. And if the, if the parents tried to call him by his birth name, he would get furious and threaten them. He threatened mm -hmm. to kill them. He threatened to take over their house. Uh, he was brought to the emergency room and I ended up dealing with him one day, but he was completely taken over. He didn't see his parents as parents anymore. They were strangers. Mm -hmm. He thought of himself as a totally different person. So that's the end result. If you let them get away with as far as they're going to go. Mm -hmm. They use confusion as a means of instilling negative suggestions. Same things hypnotics, hypnotists do. They're averse to anything positive or beautiful. Any attempt to inform the schizophrenic that these things are energetic parasites, draining them will trigger a volatile reaction. Mm -hmm. I ran into that time after time after time. So if you try to tell the schizophrenic that these things are dangerous, mm -hmm. you know, that, that they're, they're actually draining your energy, the voices get very upset and violent. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to attack, they will attack at that point. Mm -hmm. you know? But the patient has to know that. You know, if you had a, a big leech sucking your blood, you, you'd have to know that to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. They don't want, the voices don't want the patient to understand that they're leeches, that they're stealing their energy. Mm -hmm. Because the patient will automatically, in order to survive, they were going to want to stop it. Exactly. They don't want any interference. You know, so I can go into the detail of these, but these are the operational definition. And you can get this off my website at jerrymarzinski.com. They're all listed there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have that under, like I've been showing on the stream, what are the voices? And you go through that description of what they are and how they present. And it's brilliant. I'll share all of this in the, in the show notes. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm a pattern person. So <laughs> whenever I have a client for any given period of time, you know, and the trust has been established between us, there will be these expressions of these sub identities, um, depending on the setting. And so these sub identities in this in the circles that i had been i guess conditioned by mm -hmm. were actually considered actual 
entity, like an actual being, something other than the original person. Do you do you see it that way also? Well, the these these voices are not the original person. Right. They're they are separate entities with a separate consciousness. Yes. And an intention of their own. Mm -hmm. Now they try to masquerade as if they are the person by putting thoughts into the person's mind. Right. See, we're all taught from the time we're we're kids that every thought that comes into your mind belongs to you. Couldn't be further and from the truth. <laughs> couldn't be further from the truth. You know, that so these things play on that. And since they sound just like your regular thoughts, mm -hmm. if you start reacting to them as if they're you, then they become you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And that's what happens with schizophrenics. They, they, these thoughts predominate and, and are persistent, and then they begin acting on them, mm -hmm. you know, because they, they have a hard time telling, the, differentiating between their own thoughts and the thoughts of these voices. You know, mm -hmm. because they sound the same for the most part. There's for the, now sometimes there's a difference. You know, most of them can tell the difference. But there's a lot who can't. So one of the big struggles is like which thoughts are mine and which thoughts are theirs. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's three ways of differentiating them. Any negative thought against yourself or anybody else comes from the dark side. And the intention is the intention of those thoughts the same as your intention for yourself. Mm. Okay, so you have to look at those three factors, right? Otherwise, they sound just like you, right? You know, so your brain is actually being hacked, right? Your your mind is being hacked because none of this none of this is in the brain. Have you, know, you have you ever heard of uh, the type of meditation practice known as? Oh, well, I guess the philosophy is known as Vedanta Advaita. It's like the path of non-duality. It's where the practice what you go into is uh, they call it self-inquiry and so whatever thought appears to you whatever activity occurs in your internal scape you essentially ask the question well who is having this thought who who am i and you trace back to uh, you trace back to the feeling of i the the me have you ever been aware of that practice well that's all there is is the i Right. You know, the or the, the, the person. And you take away, I mean, I had an experience once where all my physical senses were taken away. Mm -hmm. And all there was was I'm aware that I'm aware. Being, yeah. And that's that's all that's there. Yes. Yes. That's all that's there. It's it's a, an awareness. Then you, when you start adding in all the senses and then mm -hmm. all the influences from the outside, then, mm -hmm. then there's a competition for who you are. Yes, you know. But um, I, I just got back from Romania where they paid for me to come and and give some lectures, and these were yogis. These were esoteric yogis. Right. And uh, they they told me they wanted to meet three of their psychiatrists, and I wrote them back and I said I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> And they said, no, no, these guys are different. They're different. Believe us, they're different. Mm -hmm. And one of them agreed. To, now, they've been practicing yoga and meditation for years. Right. Okay. So I offered to all of them. I said, listen, I'll be glad to give each of you a mate session so you can see for yourself what this is like, this mm -hmm. new psychotherapy. 
only one of them agreed to it. It was a female psychiatrist from France. Mm -hmm. She had, she had been practicing meditation and yoga for, for years. Mm -hmm. We found the negative identity. We, we dissolved it and there was a massive uplift in her energetic level. Beautiful. None of that got to that negative identity. Mm -hmm. It didn't touch it. Years of meditation. You know, years of doing yoga it because didn't dissolve that negative identity. Because this is critical, and this is so critical. Not all those voices are your own, <laughs> and yes. so if you're doing the meditation and you're doing the identification of, oh, that's me, I, I, me, I, I. You get into the solipsistic, circular, uh, identification and objectification. And then you're caught in a deeper loop of the overall identity as being self. And so the reason why I love your work, and I also got turned on to this, the psychotherapist Norberto Kepe. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he, he back in the fifties and sixties was able to show that psychotherapy, the way it was taught was inverted in that there are these other identities, there are these negative uh, voices. He didn't use the same terminology that you're using with the MACE method, but it's, it is the problem of identity. If you're identifying with these negative Nancys that are internally in your subtle body all the time, and you're saying, no, that's me, I, I'm responsible for that, I'm, that can further deepen your shame and your self-loathing, right. which is what they want to right. begin with. Right. Exactly. And so, and so in this book, he's he's so he's like, no, 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 all of that negative BS, that is not of God. None right. of that originates with God. Right. And, and so and that that ties back to what's happening today. You look at all the wars, all the conflicts, all the all the, the this vaccine thing, all the damage being done, all of that generates negative emotional energy mm-hmm. you know so they're 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 creating a hog's trough for themselves mm-hmm. you know you look at the prisons and and the the mentally ill they, they shut down all the all the state hospitals so these people had to go out on the street they couldn't function on the street so they had to steal and and to get food and and they sell drugs they all end up in prison right you know so they they brutalize them for 10, 15, 20 years, they come out as psychopaths and they turn them loose on society with $50, maybe two weeks worth of drugs, and you're free. And then if, like on, I was watching today, some prisoner escaped from one of the prisons and here's ABC News. Oh, we caught him and we had helicopters and we had uh, infrared and all kinds of, we, we, it took us days and weeks, but we caught him. They're releasing people like that by the, by the score every single day in the United States. Mentally ill people who are unstable and dangerous. They did their their term and they're releasing them right out the door. Mm. It's happening daily, hundreds of them. Yeah. So for... th- 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 there, there was one I saw that was, I knew he would murder somebody within six months. He was going to kill somebody. He was that dangerous. Just out the door. You know, you've done your, you've done your sentence. You're done. Oh, wow. So they didn't take anything that you said about it into account? No. That's the way the system works. Hmm. There was one, you know, 
So he, 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 here, here was a chief psychologist was trying to save money for psychiatry. They had this little deal behind, uh, you know, the psychiatrist was getting in trouble uh, because psychologists were sending mentally ill patients to the medical unit and they were having to give them antipsychotic drugs. Mm -hmm. They wanted to cut down on the amount of antipsychotic drugs that were being used. Mm -hmm. So the psychiatrist and the chief psychologist had this little deal going, you know, uh, I'll, I'll prevent the psychologist from sending people over to the medical unit, you know, if you do this for me kind of thing. So he sent over a stooge to the medical unit that would turn people back with a different diagnosis. You'd send a patient there and they'd say, oh, no, he's not psychotic. He's a, uh, what do you call it, antisocial personality. Mm -hmm. And I had one where, you know, because they didn't know anything about the voices. They, they didn't study him. They had no idea. And here's the voices ramping up, ramping up, ramping up, telling this patient to, to kill this other uh, prisoner. Mm -hmm. I sent him to the medical unit once. A stooge sent him back. I filled the medical record again. Okay, voices are getting stronger. Da, 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 da. You better do something about this. This guy's very dangerous. Da, da, da. Sent him a second time. They sent him back. I sent mm -hmm. him a third time with another sheet full of notes. This guy's very dangerous. It's only a matter of time before he, he hurts or kills somebody. You better do something about him. He is psychotic. He's schizophrenic. Do something. They sent him back again. A week later, he stabbed another prisoner 13 times. Oof. I, I was so furious that I couldn't go back to work for two for two days because I was afraid I'd beat the shit out of the uh, the chief psychologist. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I couldn't I couldn't trust myself not to punch him in the face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because so, he was directly responsible for that level directly of violence. Responsible, you know. So that it, the, the whole mental health system's a sham, starting with this 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 Bible of theirs, this direct directory of mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. You know, the, this DSM that they teach in 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 all the universities. I mean, in the PhD program, it was the Bible, and they're teaching these things as if they're real like diseases, mm -hmm. you know, they're not, they're all made up. Every single one of them is made up. There is not a single objective test to verify any of the diagnoses in that DSM. They started off with like 56 in 1950. It jumped up in 1960. It jumped up to a hundred something. And now it's 197. They make these things up. Mm -hmm. They make them up for the insurance companies. Two thirds of the people on, on the board that makes up these diagnoses and publishes this DSM are in league with the with uh, big pharma, mm -hmm. you know, and and this thing looks like uh, um, the, the, here's here's this uh, one psychiatrist. He says every every single one of these mental illnesses were fabricated by breaking up segments of human behavior and pathologizing them. There are no blood tests. There are no lab tests. There are no X-rays, EEGs, or, or any kind of test to validate even a single one of these diagnoses. They're just classes of behaviors that a group of psychiatrists have voted to be a mental disorder. And this is Dr. Julian Whitaker, psychiatrist, who's saying there's nothing to this. This is all garbage. They use it. They have to have these diagnoses to build the insurance companies. Mm -mm. You know? And so this is part of their merry-go-round where they diagnose somebody as, as schizophrenic, they bring him into the hospital. They they keep him there until his insurances run out. Then they discharge him with uh, uh, 
to the mental health center or discharge them with a prescription for these drugs. These drugs, the side effects are so freaking awful that they go off them eventually, and then they end up being hospitalized again. So it's this just big, giant, fleecing merry-go-round where every time they get admitted to the mental hospital, be it state or psychiatric, they're charged tens of thousands of dollars. They're, they're milked. The insurance companies are milked, or the government is milked, or the private payer is milked mm -hmm. you know and they just put them back on these drugs and it just goes over and over and over again you know so i mean you, you look at how it's working when you take a look at at how this system is working it's a drug-fueled merry-go-round yes Forty-six thousand americans killed themselves last year mm -hmm. Forty-six thousand. Fifty thousand died in in, in vietnam mm -hmm. and this is year after year after year Almost 50,000 people are killing themselves in the U.S. every year. Yeah. You know, 24 vets a day kill themselves. Between 1999 and 2019, the suicide rate has increased 33%. This is despite the fact that there are more psychiatrists, there's more psychologists, there's more counselors, there's more pharmacies, there's more, more antipsychotic and antidepressant meds on the on the face of the planet than there has ever been in the history of mankind and look at what's happening mm -hmm. and these these guys are making 14.54 billion dollars a year selling these drugs that do absolutely nothing except rot out the person's brain you know now schizophrenics have a suicide rate three to five percent above that of the general population with these voices telling them you're no good you're not rotten kill yourself and what's interesting is i saw at the state hospital was that the psychiatrists believed that these voices were hallucinations until they learned that the voices were telling their patient to kill themselves. All mm -hmm. of a sudden, they became very real. They locked them down on a suicide watch. They locked the door. They put them on, uh, uh, with, on suicide precautions with a, a bedding that they couldn't tear apart, nothing in their room. So they acted as if the, you know, the voices were very real at that time, but all the rest of the time they were hallucinations. So you, you talk about schizophrenia, that's schizophrenic behavior if there is any. Jerry, do you, mind, do you mind if we zoom out just for one second? Because yeah, I, I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting this massive picture because it seems like the chemical industrial complex pretty much breeds all this negative emotion. And you're saying that these these identities, these negative identities themselves, they live off the negative emotion. Do you think on the spiritual level or the energetic level that there is like a head archon or like a head demon or like some something that's exterior to like any auto-generated thing that's actually propelling this whole system? Because it's like it's a it's a it's a negative feedback loop that yeah. is that is just obviously societally being perpetuated. Yep. Yeah, Emanuel Swedenborg says there's there's communities of these negative entities mm -hmm. of of different uh, what would you call them um, toxicity mm -hmm. um, that he he said that. Two negative two negative entities and two positives are assigned to each human being at the time they're born, and the negative ones are always telling them to do negative stuff. It's almost like the cartoon, mm -hmm. you know, where you see two devils and yeah. two angels. But 
the, the negative ones are allowed to put thoughts into your thought stream. The positive ones don't work that way. They put they put feeling in it. They work by feeling and intuition. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, I sense that that's wrong. You know, or mm. I feel that that's wrong. So so they don't they're not allowed to directly interfere with your free will. The mm-hmm. negative ones are. You know, so you the, your guardian angels, you have to ask them for help if you're going to get help. If you don't ask them, you won't get the help because they can't interfere with your free will. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just an overall principle of the golden rule. If something is interfering with somebody else's free will, then you then you're then you can be doing harm to another. And so that's yes. the sign that this negative. Um, these negative identities, these auto-generated negative identities are actually uh, of, <laughs> of this uh, maligned realm. Yeah, you know, that's, what the, that's what they feed off of. They feed off of the negative. So you look at the warrior, how, how, much, how much negative energy is produced by that, that war with uh, the Ukra- and Ukraine? How much suffering is produced by that war? incredible amounts an incredible amount you know the same thing with mental illness mm-hmm. you know it doesn't just affect one person it affects the whole family mm-hmm. you know so the whole family is set off a of balance every day i have people writing me you know this, he's destroying our family it's, uh, there's no peace here anymore it's, it, we don't know what to expect next he doesn't listen to anything we say mm-hmm. you know, o- over and over again what so, what do you do for your energetic hygiene being exposed to so much of this stuff? Oh, geez. I, I pray a lot. Uh, I have different methods to kind of try to keep the negative entities off of me. Um, and, and to realize they exist. So, you know, before I, I get on, get on with you, I, I would pray and ask for protection and help. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it turn to the turn to your guardian angels and ask them for help. Right. You know, they're they're out there. They're if there's a negative side, there's a positive side. You know, but you have to ask that positive side for help, or you won't get it. Right. You know, and then there's a number of other methods that, you know, crystals and and uh, different religious artifacts and stuff like that. But you know, I remember a time when when I was working uh, in the prison where I could feel these things. Mm-hmm. And I spent 10 years working site crisis in the emergency rooms around Tucson, too. But I could feel them. I, you know, the, I'd, I'd see a patient in the emergency room and I'd say, you're hearing voices. And he'd go, no, I'm not. No. I said, yes, you are. And this is how strong they are, because I could feel them, mm-hmm. you know, and I could feel when they were getting angry. So when I told the patient they're parasites, they would become furious, mm-hmm. you know, and I could ju- I could feel that, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's amazing because that's what I've experienced directly with with doing body work. Because a lot of body work ends up becoming psychological in nature, <laughs> you know, especially the way I was trained in polarity therapy. Like what what uh, I guess you'd say uh, negative patterns that get locked in the myo like the tissues of the body. When those start to come out and whatever is resonant with that starts to express itself. Those I, I've come across entities that were not quite 
you know, on my side of things. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. were not on the side of the client of the of the person that I was trying to help. They, they wanted that resonant pattern to stay as is. Right. So that their their home is consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so does, you know, so does the FDA. I mean, they have reduced funding in the schizophrenia down to a dribble, mm -hmm. you know, and they did it by manipulating the statistics to make it look like there were less schizophrenics in the United States than there actually are. They do not want a cure for schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're making $14.7 billion a year, they don't want a cure. Right. They want to keep selling drugs. Mm -hmm. Only problem is, is those drugs are poisoning people. They're destroying mm -hmm. their brains. They're destroying their nervous systems. And mm -hmm. they know it. They don't care. Right. Yeah. It, it's pretty brutal. So right now in your practice, you said you, you're, you're retired from, you, you let your license lapse, which is awesome. <laughs> And now do you primarily help people with the MACE energy method? Yes. Yeah. It's the only method I've seen work. Well, you I know, would out of, out of all the ones I've seen, all the ones I've been taught, all the all this uh extracurricular training that I've had, MACE is the only system that I've seen that actually works. Yeah, I'm looking at the website right now and I'm going to look into it. I've had uh, a few um, homeopathic doctors, naturopathic doctors that have gotten into like really being able to, from as far as I can tell in my own, in my own system, be able to find some of these uh, hidden, at least hidden, how should I say this correctly? Obscured identities and then when that identity would release then you know i was back like my positive uh like all the all the positive attributes that um we were talking about earlier so this is wonderful i'm going to direct people in your direction for this because it kind of fits the theme of this podcast we're always looking for solutions for people and and uh, promoting the good, the true, and the beautiful here. So I'm so happy that you're actually in practice for this. Would you be open to people coming to you through through the pod? Sure. And one of the things I didn't believe when I first started was they told me that it worked with addictions. And and I'm going, no way, no no way, you know. And I just I just didn't believe it. Right. You know, because I've been working with addicts and throughout my career. And uh, lo and behold, here's this one gal that came. She was a, an alcoholic. After a few May sessions, she said, I can drink normally again. Awesome. You know, and I couldn't believe it. She said, that's the truth. I don't, I'm not, I don't have a, uh, a drive to drink anymore. I can take it or leave it. You know? Brilliant. And that's the only one I've seen, but I, I didn't even believe that was possible. Mm -hmm. But uh do you believe that the addiction cycle in and of itself is something that these negative Nancy's really promote? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, I had prisoners uh, who would tell me when they ran out of meth, the voices would tell them where to go and when to be there. 
And if they did that, somebody, a complete stranger, would show up with meth. That's incredible. And that, I heard that from more than one prisoner, too. You know, one guy uh, was, was told, uh, he lived in San Diego. The voices told him that there was a Sesamelia pot field up in Oregon, mm -hmm. you know, to take all his money to get two burlap sacks and a machete, and they would show him where that pot field was. Now, this was after this guy fully recovered. He told me this story. Mm -hmm. So the voices were gone. Mm -hmm. you know, he was back to normal. So he did that, and they told him step by step how to get there. You know, he so he drove. I mean, it's what like a thousand miles or something like that up to mm -hmm. from Southern California to Oregon, uh, step by step. And he he followed what they were saying. He ended up at the base of a mountain. Uh, that after he went down like a twenty-three mile dirt road, and it came to a dead end. And he said, well, "Okay, what now?" And the voices said, uh, "Take your take your sacks and bring your machete. And there's a hiking trail off to your left." So. He did that. He found the hiking trail. He walked for about four hours. He, he got up into this big meadow up there. And here's this giant sesamelia pot field, just mm -hmm. like the voices said. And he cut it all down, filled up his two burlap sacks, brought it back down to the car. And he asked the voices, now what? He said, I know where there's a park where you can sell it. So he went to that park. He sold the marijuana. He got a ton of money. He bought all the prostitutes he could handle. He got all the cocaine he could deal with. He drank himself half to death, and the voices wanted to go fishing. When he told me that, I said, no, nah, you're making that up. He said, no, honest to God, they wanted to go fishing. Mm -hmm. He said he went out to the Columbia River, and he said he was the only one catching fish out there. He said the voices would tell him where to throw the hook, how long to be there, and when to move on. He said he was mm -hmm. the only one on the river catching anything that day. So he did that for about three weeks, and then he ran out of uh, money, and he said, okay, I need to go up there again and get some more pot. The voices said, no, they're waiting on you now. You go up there, they'll kill you. Mm -hmm. He said, they said, take your money and go back to San Diego. Mm -hmm. That's what he did. He, he, he returned to San Diego with uh, uh, more money than he had when he started. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So, I mean, it's really, it's almost a Faustian pact with these voices. Like this would, that would seem like that's a supernatural occurrence. Oh, there were there were story after story after story. I had this one guy. Um, the voices would tell him which houses to rob, when mm -hmm. to rob them, when the people in the house were up, because he'd go in there while they were asleep, mm -hmm. when to get out, and then where to hide afterwards. So he said, and I said, well, if they do all that, you know, how come you're in the prison? Mm -hmm. and he said, I, I got greedy, and I went into this one rich person's house that they told me not to. Uh, he, said, he said, that's where I got caught. And uh, uh, he said one time he'd robbed this. He was robbing this one house. The people were up. The voices told him the people were up. They told him to get out of the house uh, and that the cops were coming. Mm -hmm. So he, he jumped out of the window and he started running down this one alley. And the voices said, no, the police are coming up that alley. Go this other way. Mm -hmm. So he ran the other way. And they said, there's a big dumpster there. He, they said, go into the dumpster and hide in the dumpster. Mm -hmm. So so he went and he hid in the dumpster. The police came and they walked right by the dumpster and they were still within earshot when the voices said, OK, get up out of here and run. Mm -hmm. And he said, they're still too close. And the, the voices said, do it. So he, he did it, closed the, the dumpster quietly and ran back to his apartment. And uh, the voices said, good job, good job.
And he said, no, not good job. I left all the loot in the trash can. Oh, no. <laughs> what they told him is said, well, you can get up early in the morning. Go get it. So he did. Mm -hmm. You know, so they know things that the person himself doesn't know. Right. You know, and I've heard story after story after story like that. You know, one guy where they, the voices were telling him, this guy's going to assault you on the prison yard. Watch out for him. Mm -hmm. And a week later, here's this guy. He just took a shower and he's whipping his, his hair back, brushing all the water out of his hair and slinging it back. And this guy, the voices warned him about, comes walking through the door at that same moment. He swishes it back, gets a guy in the face with water, and the guy starts beating on him mm -hmm. and assaulted him. So there was another another time where the voices uh, came through with something that he shouldn't have known. Mm -hmm. But they they will tell him where to get the drugs. You know that that was pretty common. That's amazing. Is there a difference in the voices? Like, so it sounds like intent. The intent actually has everything to do with whether your good angels are are communicating or or the negative Nancys, the 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 demonic side. Right. So but you're the chooser. Right. You know. So you, the person who is plagued by these things, has a choice as to whether to listen to them or not. Right. You know, and they're consummate liars and they they usually know that. And I'd say I'd ask them, I said, uh, you know, if you know they're lying and you can't trust them, why do you listen to them? And the response was because they're so damn believable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if they're using your own voice. Right. And, and they're doing all this, you know, like because like you said, the majority of people are not taught. Like I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, the majority of what's going through your head isn't yours. And right. that's such an alien concept to people. I'm like, no, literally. <laughs> but it's like, the truth. Like your neurochemicals are, are, are coming from beings that are outside your body. And the majority of your thoughts are coming from beings outside of your body. You, you really got to have space. You have to, I, you have to actually drop into that observer. Like right. being, being able to observe that and whatever is happening is mind. And as long as you have that space and you don't say, oh, that is mine or that is mine, right. that is mine, then you'll have a reprieve and then you'll be able to act rightly. But if you the don't. Emmanuel Swedenborg says none of your thoughts are yours. I'm kind of in none it. of them. I'm, I'm in his. I'm really in his in his. Uh, boat there because I mean you're you're a high level athlete from what I've read right you at one point in your life like you're into motorcycles uh, you're a pilot there's these moments where you put yourself in what would be perceived danger danger positions these dangerous that's called an adrenaline junkie yeah it but served it, me well in this in this profession but that's my point <laughs> I I was an athlete I had motorcycles there's something that adrenaline junkies really love, and that's known being in the zone. And when you're in the zone, you you're perfect in your in whatever's needed. Right, right. You're you're perfect, but the you're the, concentrating on that thing at that moment. Yeah, and that catch twenty two is you're perfect, but you're also like Emmanuel Swedenberg said, it's not you. Like it's just happening. There isn't an identity going, oh, we'll do this now and do this and do this. Right. So you can't really take credit for it. Right. The, the perfection just happens. 
And that's why I love talking to people that have been in high stake situations is because I, without fail, every person I know that has been a high performer or high stakes uh, in high stake situations, you end up having this preternatural ability to know that when perfection occurs, when it, when exactly what needed happens, happens, that you weren't the one doing it. That That is that sign of the gap. And that gap is actually real self-control. People that I speak to that don't have that gap, that actually think everything that they're hearing internally is them, or don't have the experience of the zone, you know, in whatever phase of life that they're in, what I found for the most part is that they don't have self-control. They're, they're at the mm. behest of whatever the internal signaling is. Right. Yeah. Right. They're tangled up in it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the problem of, my, of identity. <laughs> it really comes down to that. Well, Jerry, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. I, I, I'm going to probably post this in a couple of weeks and I would love to have you come back on. Is there any, anywhere else than other than your website that I can send people to see your work? Um, I think uh, the Keyhole Journey, Sherry Sweeney's the, my co-author. Okay, so if you want to explore this more, you can, Sherry Sweeney was, uh, she heard voices when she was a young woman. So when we started, um, this is called an Amazing Journey into the Psychotic Mind. Mm -hmm breaking the spell of the ivory tower, All right? So it, it's in French, it's in German, it's in uh, um, Spanish. Yeah, I see it, all, okay. all three of them right here. Right, and she's got, <laughs> yeah, she's got all my work on her site also. Awesome, Sherry Sweeney. Oops, that took me to the wrong thing. Well, brilliant. Jerry, this has been a great conversation. I really look forward to to having a friendship with you and talking with you in the future. And uh, if there's anything I can do for you, just let me know. Well, you know what? I have some other guests that you might be interested in. Yes. You know, one, one gal who's, uh, she was a psychiatric nurse and she had the same experience I had. Uh, and then there's another gal who was a nurse who could see spirits from the time she was a little gal. You know, and she wonderful. worked. She did an internship on a psych ward, and she saw what these things looked like. This is amazing that there's you know, an auto-generated, extra, non-plus energetic body that it becomes its own entity. I have a soft spot for nurses. My mother was an RN for forty-five years, and she she turned off her ability to see auras because she knew when people were going to die. And it just upset uh -huh. her. It upset her way too much. So yeah, I would love to talk with these women if that's a, if that's a possibility. Oh yeah, I can arrange it. It just may take a little while. No, no worries. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for your time, and we will be in touch. Okay. Okay. Thanks for having me. See you soon. All right. Bye bye. You ought to know
I hope you enjoyed the podcast with Jerry Marzinski. Go back and listen to my podcast with Govinda, with Cesar Sous, with Dr. Moshe Daniel. There is the need for mental sanity. And mental sanity essentially comes from having the capacity to gain space between what you are actually experiencing on the internal level, what you're experiencing on the external level, and you are the awareness that's aware of it. When somebody is continuously identifying with everything that comes up internally, it's a race to the bottom. Because <laughs> as he said, you know, like Emmanuel Swedenberg said, you know, we're blessed with two angels and two demons. And if we get into a positive feedback loop, and positive feedback loop doesn't mean you feel good. Positive feedback loop means it builds towards a crescendo of energy. So if you're in a positive feedback loop with something that doesn't have your best interest at heart, it can lead to self-destruction. So I'm going to jump into this MACE method. I had never seen or even heard of what the MACE energy method was. And as you know, I've done extensive uh, jaunts into all different types of modalities of mental and spiritual hygiene. And um, I'm really excited about this. It's kind of funny in my life. I'm... Um, I used to do yoga and meditate, and now I'm getting into calisthenics and probably something like the mace method. So it's 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 getting away from the the notion of this uh, this unincorporated, unembodied spiritual language type of stuff into like extremely practical. Do this and receive this. Do this and receive that. So this feels really good to uh, be introducing this to the audience. Um, reach out to Jerry if you can, if you feel like you have been uh, inundated with negative self-talk. It's in the field. I'm of the mind that there is an energetic pattern that it, um, is very conducive to negative self-talk. I think a lot of electromagnetism has a lot to do with that. So always get yourself out in nature, move your body um, and move it rigorously if you can. Um, give attention and appreciate beauty in your life. Um, feel grateful. If, if you feel gratitude towards somebody, actually reciprocate and like let them know. Don't keep it internal. Uh, you don't ever want to uh, die from grumpy man syndrome. <laughs> I see that so much occur with people where uh, they get into their into their stories about such and such, and then they end up just becoming a recluse and alone, and alone at, uh, on an energetic side of things too, which uh, then they feel abandoned. And so, just know that you're never abandoned. That's uh, that is actually a lie. Um, so. I uh, I loved reading Psalm 23 in this. I can I've always felt the juice in Psalm 23. 
I'm going to check out Psalm 91 and uh, run with it. I really appreciate you guys. Um, the The pod has been growing really well. My adventures um, are are taking me to newer and higher places. Um, I'll be shipping out the, uh, well, I'll be continually to ship the uh, rocket retorts, uh, all the bears out there that I met at the Beartaria Times National Festival. Just, you guys are so solid. It was so nice to go to a festival where people were actually uh, of a sober character. And uh, I really appreciate everybody's uh, contributions. I'm getting analog super chats. I should read this. I don't even know how to tell people about my uh, PO box. Um, I don't even know where it's listed here. Okay, so I guess it's PO box 402, um, 111 East 3rd Street, Willow Springs, Missouri, 65793. Analog super chats. I'll write that down. Hopefully that's the address. Um, but just wonderful bears sending me all different types of uh, of super chats. I'll actually show you next next recording I do. Postal Fett sent me this. This is awesome. He's so good. I'm going to order uh, that uh, T-shirt NASA, the early years. I think that's brilliant. I think that's so funny. Uh, thank you guys so much. And I look forward to hearing from you next week. And I think we got our internet stuff all sorted here. So um, I'll be able to do some live streams coming up soon. So talk to you soon.